as had been told them. Well, congregation, we see uh, in this chapter already the uh, fact uh, that we've been speaking about already for the last four weeks, that Israel was a waiting people. They were looking, expecting, longing, waiting, and waiting some more for the fulfillment to all the promises that God had made to them. God had promised Abraham blessing. God had given his covenant to Israel, and Israel was such a failure. God had spoken to David about the son of David, who would sit on his throne forever and forever. God had spoken to the prophets about a new covenant that would be the answer for the failures of the Mosaic, or the Sinai covenant. And of course, we know, we considered that yesterday, that it was not so much the failure of the Sinai covenant itself, Right? It was the failure of the Israelite people. They did not have a heart in them that was willing to keep God's commandments. And so they failed in so many respects. But all these covenants and all these promises that are stirring around in the minds of God's people, and they're awaiting and expecting people, and as I was considering this message this morning, I thought about this hymn that we sing, this Christmas carol that we sing at this time, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I thought it corresponded so well with kind of the pathway that we've walked as we've anticipated the coming of this morning and the coming of Christmas. And especially the first lines of that third stanzas there, as you can see it, how silently how silently the wondrous gift is given. Because finally the day arrives. Right? For the last four weeks we've been looking, expecting and waiting. The people of Israel had been waiting a long time. You can think of the, the last prophet that they had heard from was Malachi, hundreds of years earlier. But up until that, uh, since that time, it had been cold and dark in the life of God's people, in the life of the Israelite nation. So much time had passed. You might say the hopes and the fears, the fears were beginning to outweigh the hopes. Will God speak again? Will God remember the promise, the covenants that he made with our fathers. But finally, the day in God's eternal decree, the day in God's plan, finally, that day arrives. But how silently, how silently. No massive pomp and circumstance, no massive display of divine power, just in a back corner, of a ghetto town, Bethlehem, a baby is born. Not in any kind of a respectable place, laid in a filthy cattle stall, wrapped in cloths. And yet our text this morning tells us this, in Luke 2 and verse 12, this 
will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And again, we, we've heard those words so many times that we miss the, the power of it, right? The, the, almost the disgustingness of it. A baby wrapped in cloths is perfectly normal. Laying in a manger, that's not normal at all. And again, you have to feel something of the low state, the miserable condition of Joseph and Mary at this time of their life. How silently, how silently, for over a thousand years, Israel had been waiting for the coming of their king, for the son of David, for the one who would be the answer to all the failures of the Sinai covenant, for the blessing that God had promised to Abraham and repeated to Isaac and Jacob. How silently, how silently, on Christmas morning, this child is born in a city of Bethlehem. Oh, dark was the night, and cold blew the wind. But Joseph and Mary no shelter could find. In all the fair city of Bethlehem, in cottage or inn, was no room for them. But my friends, all the hopes and fears, again, you can see that at the end of verse 1 of this carol. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all those past decades, centuries, and even millennia. The hopes and fears of all that time are met in this manger in Bethlehem on this child. So small, so insignificant, so vulnerable, and so weak. In verse 34, Simeon says this when he met uh, Mary and he took the child in his arms. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. In other words, this child is so significant. But again, how silently, how silently this child came into the world and how God in his, in his plan of salvation and in his providence caused this child to be born with so little fanfare. Now you can say, well, there was a lot of fanfare to the shepherds, and that's true. Uh, the shepherds saw this glorious display, right, of God and of the angels singing, but still it was only to the shepherds, right, to the despised people of the shepherds. Uh, no, no one else apparently saw it. And it's given to these people who were um, not looked up to at all. But in every other respect, the first coming of Christ is so humble and so small and so seemingly insignificant. And my third point there, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Congregation, will Abraham's seed ever prove to be a blessing to the nations? It all depends on that child. Will Israel ever measure up to God's standards? It all depends on that child. Will the son of David reign forever and forever? And his throne will never come to an end. 
It all depends on that child. Will there be a new covenant that will answer the failure of the Sinai covenant, the old covenant? It all depends on that child. I hope you get the point this morning that everything, the hopes and fears of all the years, of all the covenants and of all the promises, depend upon that child. What will he do? Everything is leaning, you might say, is resting upon him. Again, you can think about what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah said that out of the stump, sometimes it's said out of the root of Jesse, but it's the stump of Jesse, will come this little tender green plant, a little shoot, so weak, and so vulnerable. But that little green shoot will be the salvation of the world. Everything is leaning on that sun. And that brings me, my friends, to think about our own celebration of Christmas. And so the two application points are just this, hopes and fears. Hopes and fears. On what are your hopes based, my friends, for your life? On what are your hopes based? We tend to think of ourselves, or we tend to think in our day that we want to place our hopes on something that is very big, very strong, very substantial, something that will never fail us. We don't want to place our hopes on something that is wavering and weak. And yet look what God calls us to do this morning. God calls us this morning to entrust our life to this helpless infant laying in a manger. And there's a lesson there for us, my friends, in terms of our own hope, that God calls us to rest our life, to rest our whole salvation upon something that appears in terms of human thinking and human reason so weak None of us would think that this is the hero that we should get behind. This will be our captain. This will be the one that we rally behind. This will be the one that will lead us to victory. And yet that is precisely what God calls us this morning to do. To line up behind this infant child. And my friends, if you look at the rest of the life of this man, this man Jesus, his life is one of suffering, homelessness, reproach, until finally he dies the worst and most shameful death that a person ever can experience. And now God calls us to look at this man as the victor. All the hopes and fears are bound up in this man. And we are called to line up, to take hold of this captain, this hero, even though there's so much reproach attached to him. And his coming into the world, all we can say, all the hymn writer can write is, how silently, how silently. That goes contrary to all human reason, doesn't it? That we would, that on Christmas Day, that we would line up behind the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet that's exactly what God calls, him, calls us to do. The first coming of Christ is so silent. And so contrary to 
anything that would bring us to say, I'm going to place all my hopes, all my trust, I'm going to lean my whole life upon this man, upon this child. But that's exactly what God calls us to do. Now, why is that, my friends? Well, undoubtedly, it it has something to do with the fact that God calls us simply to trust. That when he calls us to do something, it is the right thing to do. Even when it goes contrary to our own human expectations. But let me just remind you, my friends, of the second coming of Christ, which none of us have experienced, but how differently Christ comes then. Let me just read you these verses from Revelation 19. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Notice the second coming has a very different purpose than the first coming. His eyes are a flame of fire. How different from an infant laying in a manger. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's something now for your faith. This morning, my friends, to believe and to trust that when God says that this child who came so silently into this world and under so much humiliation is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Do you believe that? My second point is fears. Because it's not only the hopes that we have in God's promises that we base upon this child, but my friends, our situation in this life is that we are often filled with fears. We're often filled with anxiety about the future, forebodings about what is to come. In our own life, in our own situation, and maybe even in our relationship with God, my friends, there can be darkness in our life where we wonder about God's favor to us. And we think about past sins that we've committed, and the guilt of those sins can come back to us again and again. So that there's hopes, but there's also fears. It can be in our life like those shepherds who were watching their flocks at night. It's dark. There's no light. And perhaps they can even be thinking then about the promises that God gave them. And yet the carol that we, that we is at the center of this sermon here. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. But again, you don't see that light. You don't see a blaze of light. The streets are dark. Well, my friends, for those of you who struggle with those fears, I want to bring this question to you this morning. Think about each of those covenants that we considered over the last four weeks. And answer me this question this morning between God and your own soul. Which of those covenants has failed? Which of those covenants has God not kept? And we know that God has kept all his promises. Not one of God's covenants has failed. And so on Christmas morning, my friends, 
You can take all those fears that you have and you can lay them before the manger of Bethlehem. All the anxieties that fill your mind about the future, all the thoughts that come back from the past, you can pick them up this morning and you can lay them at Bethlehem's manger. Again, it it may not look like that infant child can do anything for us, but God has asked us to believe that in him is a full salvation. Remember what, the, what God said to the, to the man who came to him asking for the healing of his daughter. Jesus says this in Mark 5. He says, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. That's the message I bring to you this morning, my friends. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. All of God's covenants, he's kept every one of them. He's performed every one of his promises. And that means that God is trustworthy. That you can take all your fears and all your anxieties and lay them at the feet of the manger. Another hymn that we sing. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. Now maybe you could insert, instead of the cross of Christ, you could put the manger of Bethlehem. Towering o'er the wrecks of time. And here I think about Israel trying to keep the standards of the, of the Sinai covenant. It was a wreck, wasn't it? Remember the book of Lamentations. O'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story, sacred story, all the covenants that we have in Scripture, gathers round its head sublime. Let me just read the whole line. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. It's as if all the heads of all the people are gathering to look into that manger and to think that all the light of sacred story centers in this child. And I need your help a little this, this morning too. Because I, no matter how hard I tried to figure this one out, I couldn't. I'm trying to figure out who the head is in that last line. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. Maybe you can help me out this morning. Is that referring to the heads of all the people of the sacred story? As though Abraham and Isaac and Israel and the prophets, are, their heads are leaning over to see? Or are they gathering round the head of the Savior? I wasn't able to decide that in my mind. Maybe you have more light on that than I do. But at any rate, the meaning stays the same. We gather around either our heads or we gather around the head of the Savior and we see all the wrecks of our life, all the failures that we have in our life, and we all gather around and we see in the cross of Christ or, again, in the Bethlehem manger, I glory. This is what we put our trust in and we boast in this. And so, my friends, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. But notice the last lines of verse 3. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. My friends, it's, it's, been, a, it's, it's been good to, to consider these different covenants with you. And as I come to the end of this series of Advent and Christmas sermons this morning, I think to myself of the one line in Scripture 
that I think sums it all up and brings it all to a happy conclusion. And that is when, at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. I think if you take each of those covenants that we considered and you put them in the light of that statement, God is well pleased with his Son. And that's why we take refuge in him. Because when we are in Christ, then we are well pleasing to God. And all the hopes are fulfilled and all the fears are put to rest. May God give us such a celebration of Christmas today. Let us pray. Lord, all the hopes of all the years of the biblical story are met in Christ. And all our fears are dismissed by Christ because you have said to him, this is my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Lord, we are so thankful for this gospel. May we experience, O Lord, may we be touched in our own souls with the power and glory and beauty of these truths. Lord, will you remember us then this day? Give us a good day together with our families. And we pray, Lord, that it might all be honoring and glorifying to you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now turn in the red hymnal and sing these two hymns. The first one will be the hymn that we considered this morning. We'll sing the four verses of 323. And then uh, without any further announcement, uh, just move directly to number 317. What child, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? So we'll sing hymns 323 and then 317.
receive the blessing of the Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Pastor, uh, on behalf of the, uh, the elders and the deacons and the whole uh, congregation, uh, it is my role as president to uh, just show, show you how grateful we are. Uh, one of the greatest joys as a president, I've been the president of the council for the past two years, is the congregation hears very little from me because we have a minister in the pulpit. And so we are so blessed these past two years. You've mentioned recently. Uh, that you have a two-year anniversary and that you felt blessed by this congregation. And uh, we want you to know we are also uh, extremely blessed by the work and ministry that you give to the congregation. And uh, not only to you, but to your support team, uh, to your wife, Heather, to your children, to um, Andrew, and to Noah, and to Joel, and to Aaron, and Luke, and... Um, Mabel and Esther and Julia, we are so blessed by your whole family with us here today. And um, we offer you a gift from the congregation. One of the greatest things we ask for in a minister is that you show us Jesus. Um, we don't just want to learn how to have a better life on this planet. We want to see Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the one, the reason we are here, and we ask that you show us Jesus. And you have done that extremely well in the last two years. And we hope these two years become many years to come. Uh, hopefully you can retire with us someday. So we are just blessed uh, to have you here and uh, are grateful to our Savior, to Jesus Christ, that he has called you to this congregation. Thank you so much, Pastor. 